Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I am Sebastian Teotrio. I'm Alex Hollingsworth. Welcome to the Hidden Curriculum, the podcast where we talk about all the stuff you didn't learn in graduate school. Good day, everyone. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing great. I've got my uh, my daughter here. I'm on dad duty today, so we're we're really excited for this. Uh, her first podcast experience. Her first podcast experience. That's great. And also, she's wearing a Stata onesie, so she's super cute. I love it. Yeah, I need to get an R onesie. <laughs> That's right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and an R versus Stata onesie, right? Like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. How are you doing, Sebastian? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's Friday, um, so I am feeling good. I um, have a couple of things to do today, but it's mostly meeting. It's a, Fridays are usually my meeting day. I don't know if this is a, a tip, but I usually I'll put a lot of my meetings on Friday because my brain is like, I don't know if I want to do work. So I usually like talking to people on Fridays. That's my, my go-to. Um, great. So today we're talking to Ann Burton. Ann is a job market candidate this year, so pay attention to her, especially today. She's a PhD student in economics uh, department uh, economics department at Cornell University. Her research is primarily concerned with the social welfare implications of risky health behaviors and crime. She's also the co-founder of the group Diversity in Cornell Economics. We're very excited to have her. And thank you for joining us today. Can you share a fun fact about yourself? Sure. Yeah. And thanks for having me. It's great to be here today. Um, hmm. A fun fact about myself is that I like to run Tough Mudders. Oh, okay. How long are those? Um, usually around 10 miles. Oh, wow. Those but are... you don't have to run the whole way. Do you so. do stuff in between? Like what? Yeah, it's, what um, it it's a yeah, <laughs> 10 mile like mud run obstacle course. So like sometimes you'll jump off a like 30 foot height into the water or like you know, there's like rope climbing stuff and they always have the uh, dumpster full of ice water that you have to jump into. Oh, wow. Like completely submerging. Um, and do you do this then, because at the end you feel like super, super human basically? Or? <laughs> Usually at the end, I feel very tired. Um, <laughs> but no, I, uh, I run them with uh, one of my friends who is a law enforcement officer at the Federal Reserve where I used to work before grad school. So we oh, usually wow. run them uh, together every year. And That's... he he's like amazing. He used to be a Marine. So like usually I've kind of got the edge on the running, but he definitely <laughs> has the edge on all the obstacles. Like he can go through the monkey bars in like three seconds. That's wow. Amazing. Crazy. I, awesome. I feel like we should do one of these at the next in-person AEAs and call it the job market. Oh gosh, <laughs> too real, too real. I like that. <laughs> I, every time the job market comes, I always refer it as like the quarter quail uh, job market games. <laughs> yeah, you just you'll have to run with your suit up a staircase, and then mm-hmm. like like it's like a biathlon where you have to then center your breath and calm your heart. <laughs> That's funny. Well, all right, and we're really looking forward to uh, talking with you today. But before we get into our topic of the day, um, can we hear a little bit about your job market pitch? Sure. 
like Sebastian mentioned, my research agenda is focused on the social welfare implications of risky health behaviors and crime. Um, so what that means is that my research focuses on topics in health economics, public economics, and the economics of crime. Um, my job market paper specifically is about um, the impact of smoking bans in bars and restaurants on alcohol consumption, smoking, and alcohol-related crime. Um, and how I extend the previous literature um, is by including city and county level smoking bans. Um, so previous work has looked at the impact of statewide um, smoking bans on related outcomes, um, but a lot of these laws were passed at the local level. And so that generates a lot of spatial heterogeneity. Yeah, I'm really curious about this. So I remember being, I lived in Ohio and I'm sure lots of people lived through these passing, but um, do you think it, did it just like reshuffle where people consumed alcohol, like not in a bar anymore, but in a house, or if you're on the border, like did people drive to Kentucky or something? I think that's what happened in Ohio, at least anecdotally. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of big motivation for accounting for these more local laws is to account for like people, you know, driving across the state or, if say like the city that you're in passes a smoking ban, but the neighboring city doesn't, then you can just drive 20 minutes to go smoke and drink in that bar. Um, and so, so what I find is that um, alcohol consumption increases by a little bit. So among people who drink, um, it increases by about one drink per month, um, which isn't a whole lot. Um, but that it's, is it's, sorry. Is that among people who drink and smoke or just drink? Uh, just drink. Okay. Um, oh, so that could be pretty big if it's driven by smokers. Yeah. So um, I break it down into like, you know, frequent and occasional smokers and then never informer smokers. And for um, occasional smokers, I think that's around two more drinks per month. Um, and then for former smokers, it's around like one and a half drinks per month. But these increases are concentrated entirely at bars and restaurants. So I either find mm. no effect or small declines in um, alcohol consumed at home. Um, and then I find a precisely estimated null effect on smoking. So at least in this time period, I'm studying um, 2004 to 2012. Um, these bans don't appear to be inducing people to quit smoking. Um, and mm. then you might not be surprised given the kind of small impact on alcohol consumption. Um, but as of right now, at least um, in preliminary results, I find uh, that I can't reject the null hypothesis of no effect on alcohol related crime. That's, that's really interesting stuff. And I wonder if like, this will have like big effects for like the kids of people that were smokers. Like now you're just like exposed to smoke a lot less when you're like a child in restaurants mm -hmm. and things like both from a health perspective, but also just like a, how acceptable is it to smoke, et cetera? Yeah, so um, actually, Ada and Cornaglia, I hope I'm pronouncing their names right, um, they have a paper kind of related to this. Um, I think it's in the AEJ from maybe like 10 years ago, um, but they look at what happens um, to like the location of smoking for smokers after these bans are passed, um, and they find that you know, unsurprisingly, smokers aren't smoking as much in bars and restaurants, but that um, they are smoking a lot more at home. And so for the children of smokers, mm. that can actually kind of be worse because then they're um, like in the home with their parents when they're smoking. Um, and so they're being more exposed to it. So, so then to summarize, they put 
smoking bans in places. People are now in these places having a couple more drinks, and then they're shifting their smoking, presumably either at home or somewhere else. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah. So um, people aren't deciding whether to start or stop smoking as a result of these okay. bans. Um, it's definitely possible, and hopefully, in one of my data sets, I'll be able to try to address this question of whether they're changing how much they smoke. Um, Cause it could be that, you know, they're smoking a few fewer cigarettes um, mm-hmm. every day or every time that they go out to the bar cause they're not smoking while they're drinking. Well, thank you for sharing your research with us. Um, before we dive to the topic of the day, I actually want to ask Anne two questions cause I feel like she's created two, two interesting resources for, for the econ profession. One, you created this like conference calendar with Barton Village. And second, tell us a little bit about this diversity in Cornell Economics Initiative. Yeah, sure. Um, so the conference uh, spreadsheet um, that Barton and I created, um, which is available on both of our websites, um, if you are interested and want to see what that's about or you know, look up conference deadlines and things like that. Um, it was actually originally uh, Barton's idea. So he used to make this for us in grad school um, and he would pass it around to oh, the other grad cool. students. Yeah, in the policy analysis and management department. Um, and then after he graduated, I reached out to him and I said, hey, I remember you making this conference spreadsheet. Um, you know, would you be interested in updating this and maybe sharing it with everybody else? It's such a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so said, yeah, that's a great idea. So we did that. And do you, how often that. do you update it? We update it um, once every few months. And then if we see something on Twitter about a conference, uh, yeah. then we'll go in and add that. And right yeah. now they're only physical conference or you added the virtual ones? No. Yeah. We've added the virtual conference. Oh, awesome. Pretty much everything is moving to virtual right now. Um, yeah. So we have a column that has a status update um so it'll say like canceled or online or postponed Um, that's awesome but yeah it's it's really just a compilation of all these economics related conferences that we could find um with their you know deadlines for submission whether they require like an abstract or a paper Mm -hmm. and the conference date and location and then a a website uh like with the call for papers or just for more information about the awesome conference. yeah thank you for doing that that's awesome and thank you for Barton too um what about the diversity in, in Cornell uh initiative yeah so um that was founded by a group of grad students this past fall um so previously like over the last several years um a smaller group of us had been organizing at these like women in economics events um both like informal chats and also um, like I spearheaded I, uh, like women and sexism um, in economics a few years ago with faculty and, and grad students. Um, and then a group of us organized uh, the Speaking Economics Symposium um, last summer. And so that was about, uh, you know, kind of how to bridge like cultural, uh, racial, gender, divides in economics and, you know, try to make economics more inclusive and welcoming. And then after that event, you know, we just decided that we kind of wanted to formalize our Mm -hmm. efforts and hopefully 
um, make it easier for people to keep organizing events like these. Um, so is it like you guys put events together, like seminars and and social stuff as well? Like, is that kind of like the 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 flavor of the organization? Yeah. Uh, so it started out as more oriented towards graduate students, um, but in the last year, um, we've moved our focus to um, undergraduate outreach, especially. Oh, awesome. So, um, like hosting info sessions for the AEA summer program, which is a great um, yeah. program for undergrads. I'm an um, alumni of that program. <laughs> <laughs> um, as well as, you know, trying to inform students about like the Sadie Collective. Uh, mm, they have a super important. Every, yeah. Every year. Um, and so I think what we're trying to do for this next year is um, this like kind of three minute thesis event so have oh, a bunch for of undergrads people. yeah so it would mm -hmm. be like grad students or faculty oh. kind of talking about their research to undergrads just so that um undergrads can kind of learn about the wide variety of research that economists do because they might not get exposure to that in their intro classes um mm -hmm. as well as kind of having some like office hour type environments virtually so that uh if students want to learn more about grad school or have questions about, you know, how to apply or what they should be doing in the years leading up to applying, um, they can just kind of drop in and ask their questions. That's amazing. I think that synchronous communication is so valuable mm. and then encouraging people to participate is really great. I, I do have a question. How do you get prospective students or like, how do you, how do you reach your target market? Like that's I, like, I don't even know if students sometimes know that they're prospective students, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so we like to advertise our um, AEA summer program info session. We emailed the instructors for like intro and intermediate micro and macro mm -hmm. um, and asked them to share it with our class. Um, and then our department chair, um, Mike, also has a list of I think like all of the majors. Um, and so we can just email stuff to him and he can send it out to all of the undergraduate majors, which of course isn't perfect because that doesn't capture all the people who might be interested in economics, but aren't majoring in it yet. Right. Um, <clears throat> that makes so yeah, sense. That's how we usually try to approach them through classes. And then we should probably ask, we have an undergraduate member. Um, so we should ask him like what he thinks are effective ways to reach out to more mm -hmm. undergrads um that's awesome well thank you for that information initiative i'm sure if they go to their website they can find more information uh about it but let's switch gears and now and you get to ask us a question about <laughs> anything professional development or anything like that what's your question of the day for us yeah so i was interested in knowing um what tips you have to stay connected and how to take advantage of uh, like professional development opportunities both now and in uh more regular times which hopefully we'll be returning to at some point yeah um no that's uh that's a really good question um and there's a feel like a lot of things that i was thinking about saying in this aspect um and by no means these are like an extensive and complete list. I'm sure there's there's other tips. So if people do have them, you know, share them on Twitter and so on. Um, I think I'm gonna mention maybe like a couple of like obvious ones, just so like we we set the stage. I think in terms of keeping connected, you know, there's a lot of the virtual conferences that have been popping up, and I think um, those are really good places for 
students because they're open for for grad students are also like anyone to to come in and, and at least uh, see papers. Um, you know, there's sometimes uh, I go and I log in and you know I can chat with some people while, I'm, while there's a presentation or ask questions, and that's a way that I keep like, hey, it was nice seeing you there, even though that's the only way I can see you. So I think that's like that's one. Um, I also encourage uh, people to to engage with the with the paper and the presentation not only during the session but like also offline. So well, not offline, but afterwards. So, you know, if there's a paper that I found it was really interesting and I have like a comment or a suggestion, I would email the author and be like, hey, I really love your paper. I have this idea or I have this comment. And I think that just like it's I think I used to do it before, but now I'm, I'm more conscious of it because it is the only way that I, you know, um, uh, we can keep a relationship uh, with this person that I've never met. Yeah. And that can be really scary to do as a new student. And even currently, you know, sometimes depending on like if there's like a power asymmetry between like the speaker and yourself, but definitely do it. Right. I think it's mm -hmm. like, as a person I've given talks before and had grad students come up to me and be like, Hey, I had this like list of questions and some of them are like, I can answer immediately. And right. like, maybe they would have thought of as dumb questions, but I don't feel that way at all. But most of the time, that's not the case. They're great questions and they're new perspectives for things. So people really appreciate that. Uh, even if it seems like it's an obvious sort of comment. Yeah, and I think um, one thing that is important to remember is that some people think that this is like a way of getting your name out there or something like that. And I like to think about like networking and keeping connected as a, as the main goal is just to build relationships with people that you want to build relationships with. And sometimes you need to come to that relationship offering something like a comment or a question or an idea and that's, that's, I think, the approach that I think it's like, here's what I bring to this relationship. And, you know, obviously it won't develop as naturally as it may in a conference, but that's, that's what I think the mindset, which is like building, you know, relationships. And I feel like when I was a student, I did a lot with, with people from my cohort that now are in like, you know, positions of power. And it's great <laughs> because, you know, that's, that's the network that I came from. So, yeah, no, I, that's a, that's a really great comment uh, to think about. And I just want to sort of stress like, uh, you made a comment there, like building relationships with people I want relationships with. You might not necessarily know, like there's not some grand mm -hmm. strategy, but you might just have like been watching a paper or talking with someone and you're like, oh, I have this like thought. And then right. you'd be surprised what can develop after that. So like, uh, let serendipity happen too there. Yeah. As you're I try to build a relationship with people who I think they're cool <laughs> because I'm like, you seem fun. I want to be your friend. Um, I think the other, uh, kind of like switching gears, the other thing that I would say that uh, maybe it's less obvious is, you can create also your own little bubble of, of networking connectedness. So um, I, I thought I was unique in this, but then I found out that a lot of people are doing this, especially during this time, which is created like small Slack communities or Slack is a messaging app. So you can do it in any app that you want. Um, and for example, I have one where I ask people about coding issues and there's another one where we, you know, talk about maybe empowerment and like feeling good. So you can do it with, with the set of grad school friends, maybe that across from your school or different schools. So you can create your, you know, your own different bubbles where you feel comfortable asking questions or making comments that maybe you wouldn't feel in the open. So that's, I feel, that's been a really nice way of keeping connected. Um, let's say among a set of people and again, building that, those relationships. There's also uh, another obvious one is like Twitter. There's obviously benefit and cost when it comes with Twitter. So I won't go into depth with that, but I feel like that's a way of keeping yourself connected. Um, and I think one last thing here is, is 
that sometimes all of this feels feels overwhelming and, and you feel like not only I have to, you know, get ready for my TA and work on my paper and like have this thing ready for my advisor. I also have to do this whole thing of like networking and to, and if you, if you have that feeling, then, then don't, you know, stress about it too much. Like don't overdo it just because you're, you know, out there and, and getting super connected doesn't mean, you know, they can have some positive things, but there's obviously an optimal level. And for each person, it involves different cost levels. So just try to keep a healthy balance of it. Yeah. And like, I think Sebastian and I are both pretty similar in this where we enjoy talking to people Mm -hmm. and it is like cathartic to me to have these conversations, but not everyone feels that way. So I don't feel like just because the optimal way to network for like me is to like have a conversation with somebody right after their presentation, that it's not absolutely perfect for you. If you're like, I'm not saying you and, but like just the Royals, Um, it's like send someone an email. All right. Or be a little more like, like, you know, like it could be different for everyone and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, some people maybe also be tired of like, I mean, they have done like Zoom happy hours and all of that. There's another app that I recently heard, uh, heard of is called gather.town, which is essentially a virtual living room where you can like go up to somebody and have a private conversation, even though there is like 15 people in the room. So that's kind of like simulating this whole like living room idea. I don't know. That's just like another thing to 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 think about and use so sebastian just outlined some really good like not necessarily only covid times related tips but Mm. sort of online related tips and what you could do if you're not going to a number of conferences but obviously you know covid's not well hopefully covid's not going to last for forever (laughs) obviously and you think uh conferences are really important because you and barton put together that list of conferences so i think it'd be helpful if we sort of switched gears to talk about like some in-person networking things, like what you might do if you're attending a conference. Uh, I had this really interesting conversation with, I mean, he's not a grad student anymore, but one of my classmates from grad school, Colin Weigel, and he told me that the first time he attended a conference, he thought it was like basically a massive substitute for reading papers. Like (laughs) the point of it was just to attend a bunch of presentations and like go to your hotel room or something. And obviously I think, you know, he knows different now and thought this would be a good topic for us to sort of discuss so Anne, i'm curious like your thoughts like when you go to a conference oh hi ava (laughs) so and i'm curious with your thoughts when you go to a conference uh particularly as a phd student are there particular strategies or something that you use to try to network yeah yeah that's a great question um and i guess so what I'm about to say is not exclusively like geared towards networking, but just like general strategies for um, attending conferences. Um, I like to ask questions. So I usually like try to pay attention um, in the sessions that I go to and like try to ask a question at the end um, of, you know, if not every paper in the session, at least one mm-hmm. or two of the papers in the session. Um, and I find that that can like, take a lot of focus and so I won't like the first few conferences I went to I would try to go to a session like every single time that there was a session so like 8 a.m to 5 p.m or however Mm -hmm. late it ran um but as I started going to more and more conferences I realized that that can be kind of exhausting and like by the end you just like can't focus you're fried your your brain is fried no yeah and then like you can't talk to people afterwards because Mm -hmm. like you can't form a coherent sentence. <laughs> right, um, exactly. So, you know, it's totally fine if you only want to go to a couple sessions a day. 
Um, and then the other times, you know, either meet up with people for coffee or like take mm-hmm. a long lunch. Um, and I guess less when you're a grad student, but like when you're a like early career researcher, especially if you co-authored with a lot of like your grad student friends and now you're all scattered at different places, um, conferences can be a great time to like meet up with your co-authors in person. Mm-hmm. You know, just going in with the mindset that like people are for the most part, you know, friendly and like will want to <laughs> talk to you. And mm-hmm. sometimes they just like don't want to be the first mover, but like they respond very well to you being the first mover. So mm-hmm. it's okay to, you know, go up to them and say like, hi, I'm Anne. You know, if you saw them present, you can say like, I really enjoy your presentation today or like, oh, I saw you in this session. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I like what you said there. I, I think all when I was a grad student, I had the same thing. I went to my first conference and I was just trying to attend everything because it costs money. And I was like, I need to like super take advantage of it. But then I got, I noticed that I just got so tired and so drained. And I think this is where I like, I always like to take the, the use the concept of like active citizenship duty. So like, if you want to be an active citizen in a conference, you actually need to be like, your brain needs to be turned on and alert when a paper is being presented, which is going to eventually mean that you can't attend every single paper. And so you have to pick and choose um, and then see how you're going to use the rest of your time, whether you need to rest or whether you can start talking to people outside. Yeah. And I think that buttresses well with this like idea of the question or topic of the day, like what, how do you take advantage of professional opportunities? And uh, the reason I wanted to ask you that question, Anne, is because I just wanted to like reiterate, as we talked about here, like, Conferences are not just about a substitute for learning more information mm-hmm. yourself. They themselves are a really good opportunity to develop your professional network and learn and grow in all these different ways. And I think, you know, I, I was just like you guys when I first attended a conference too. I just yeah. sort of attended and I was fried at the end of the day. Um, but what, what I like to do now is try to think of like, what are things that I couldn't easily replicate or maybe couldn't replicate at all? Uh, without this particular opportunity, right? So at a conference, it might be exactly as you said, and just like getting together with three or four people and having a meal and talking. It might be uh, talking with somebody that I wouldn't maybe be comfortable emailing or wouldn't have interactions with otherwise. It might be just attending like a networking hour and just seeing who I bump into. Uh, Those types of things don't really happen online. And it's, uh, you know, these offline experiences that can sort of generate. Yeah, and just to add, you know, to the kind of... um like substitute for like, oh, just like attending a bunch of presentations and reading papers. Um, and a good way to find out about stuff that's going on like outside of normal conference hours um, is to look on Twitter. Um, so especially at the bigger conferences like APM and Ashigon, um, people usually organize mm-hmm. uh, like social events um, and they'll tweet about them. So if you search the conference hashtag on Twitter, you can usually... Um, find out about like happy hours and uh, things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, more broadly, even outside of conferences, there's lots of opportunities available to new researchers to sort of develop their network. Um, So sometimes that is an in-person interaction, like a speaker is invited to your university. And I would definitely encourage graduate students and, and definitely new faculty uh, to try to meet with and attend the talks of people, even if they're not in your department for any sort of related mm-hmm. field, if they're coming to visit campus. Mm-hmm. And now that's a little more difficult because it's on zoom and you might need to be on the listserv and you might just like not see a poster. Um, but one thing that I do at the beginning of the year, I'm in a, this O'Neill school of public and environmental affairs, but I 
go on the economics department and the business school's website to see, well, who's coming this semester Mm -hmm. uh, that might be of interest to me. And I try to go to a lot of their talks and have, you know, I email the people. I try to go to a lot of the talks and I email the speakers, excuse me, I email the the coordinator to see if I could maybe have dinner or lunch with the speaker. And make sure you put it, put those talks in your calendar. Cause sometimes you see them, you're like, Oh, I'm interested in that. And then you totally forget. And that's happened to me. So then I have to like actively be like, on September 11, this person is coming, you know, and we have to talk. Yeah, and Sebastian, I'm curious, actually, I'm curious for both of your perspectives. I found that graduate students typically are uncomfortable and really, they don't want to meet with the speaker, but that faculty want the graduate students to meet with the speaker. I don't don't know what you both feel. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, I've only been to one grad school, so I don't know how cultures are different, which is good that we all, we're all speaking to this, but um, I do feel that there, there's this, I think sometimes there's a speaker and you're like, well, I don't know what to talk with them about. And I, I don't have a good answer for, I, I believe I had that feeling. And, and the way I got over that feeling is that to keep just going and meeting them and then realizing that like these people are actually human beings and it's fine just having a regular conversation. It doesn't have to be about economics like 24 seven. And, and I found it personally like sometimes those conversations will be even more rewarding because I am building a relationship with that person rather than just like, you know, talking about paper, stuff like that. So, so maybe, maybe a tip there is just like, just do it and and see, yeah, some of them are going to be really awkward and maybe you have to go through that process. Some of them are not, but, and what, what do you think about this? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And I think it's a generic grad student thing as opposed to a department specific thing um, that a lot of grad students are kind of uncomfortable or nervous about meeting with uh, speakers from seminars. Um, And I think a lot of it stems from like grad students being nervous that the speaker will ask them about their research and then like think that it's bad or not interesting or something. Um, But you know, you, you really just, and I still think that, that by the way, I still, I still have that fear. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, you know, the speaker yeah. is going to be a nice person and, yeah. you know, will probably be interested in your research. And if they're not, they're not going to be a jerk about it and say, like, I think that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Like, I don't think I've ever had anybody say that to me. Um, Sorry. I wanted to say that. Um, uh, I think people understand that, you know, that you're at a stage where you're like working on ideas and papers. And so you can always, you know, uh, sell it as like, yeah, I'm working on this idea. Maybe I'm not sure how to sell it or, or, you know, how to, how to pitch it or what's the right pitch to do. Because I think working on a pitch of a paper, it's, it's something that just takes so much work and, and talking to people about that, um, uh, could be a really nice way of like having a conversation to be like, I have this idea and, but I'm not sure what is the right framework to make it super interesting. So I like, I like what you said there about just talking, you know, like that fear of, of your research, that's right you know, you're like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but just share it. And then you can work through making it a better idea in that conversation. It's also possible that people do say something rude, even if it's accidental. And Mm, I think that that is in and of itself a good experience, right? Just to deal and learn with that because it happens, right? And I think people are much nicer in economics in general than is maybe the reputation, but it's a real experience. And it's one, you know, I'm not saying you should have it, but it's, no, I, I think that that's a good point. I think that's important to mention. Like, yeah, not every interaction is going to be this beautiful interaction. And and sometimes it's going to suck. And sometimes, 
maybe even like ask you like why are you even studying this and then you say like okay bye i'm gonna eat my pizza and leave <laughs> i don't know i mean yes i think that maybe um will happen and so just just be careful and, and don't maybe talk to someone afterwards if you're if you're feeling down about that experience yeah you gotta have a vent friend after you have bad conversations so. yeah a vent friend <laughs> for sure um Okay, so as a last thing, uh, I just, you know, most of our conversation today has focused on uh, in-person networking or Zoom networking, uh, but I just want to say to build your professional uh, network, don't be afraid to just email people if there's opportunities you want to learn more about. Um, so for instance, I saw that Sebastian uh, wrote for the AshiCon newsletter. I had a couple ideas. I had no idea how to get involved with that. And granted, I knew him a little bit, so I felt comfortable sending that email. But I just sent an email. I was like, hey, how do I get involved mm-hmm. with this? Sebastian and, and, and David Slusky uh, told me how to get involved with it, right? So don't be afraid. The worst case scenario, someone says, hey, no thanks. Uh, we don't want you involved with this. Thing. Yeah, I think that's a good tip because uh, mostly the people who are also organizing these things, they it's a lot helpful when, when you have more people that want to contribute to things. You, otherwise, you're going to have to like go and, and look for people and ask, and then they rely on networks, and then we have another different problem, which is like, you know, they're just inviting a friend. So, so it's good to, to kind of like offer yourself up for those opportunities. Well, that's a great place to pause. Um, but we, before we head out, we'd like to give our listeners a recommendation of the week. And what would you like to recommend to our listeners for this week? Yeah, so it's um, not econ related, but I would uh, recommend that if you're eligible, you make sure that you register to vote or are registered. And then if you can, uh, go vote early, either in person or mail in your ballot as early as possible. That's probably the best recommendation of the week we've had in this podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Uh, so Sebastian, what's your recommendation? Uh, I'm going to recommend something, a a small change that has been really useful. And I put it on Twitter this morning, which is control backspace erases words. And so I've been like deleting words by doing, you know, click, 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 (laughs) click, and deleting the word. And I did not know you can do control backspace or command backspace if you're on a Mac. You can also delete more words if you do uh, uh, control shift backspace, I think. But anyways huge life-changing like it kind of takes a while to use it to get used to it but once you get used to it it's it's a lot of fun um so that's my recommendation for the week alex how about yours my recommendation of the week is somewhat similar to sebastian's it's not a keyboard stroke like really helpful like that but it's related to stata so i find that i do this all the time in my code and whenever i co-author with people they they note that i do it there could be a faster way to do this thing but often i want to select a group of variables and so there's this command that's really simple in stata called ds And what DS does is it lists all the variables and then it stores them as a local macro, but you can use the wild cards and then you can do this in like multiple stages if you want. So you could be like DS a star. So that's all the variables that start with a, and you can also use inverse. So you could do like DS a star comma, not that's every variable that doesn't start with a. And so you could imagine Mm. doing this a couple different times and you can really select quickly Uh, a group of variables, particularly if you named them thoughtfully, and then you can right after that, access those variables in a local macro and do a loop or do all sorts of other tasks on those variables. And it saves a lot of time uh, if you know that that command exists to sort of access things and then rename them or use them, do whatever you're going to do. Yeah, I'm I'm actually thinking I could use that 
for some of my output in table things that I really wanted to do. So that's great. I like that. Um, that's awesome. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. And if people want to find more about you, your research, the initiative, where can they go? Um, so you can go to my website, which is annmburton.com. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Ann underscore M underscore Burton. That's it. That's all we have for you guys today. Remember to leave us a review. And if you want, you can write on the review which topics you would like us to cover. Remember that all the links will be in the show notes. You guys have a great week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ann. Mm-hmm.